Hey, what's up, Surf Splendor listeners? David Scales here, your host. Sitting here watching uh, Hurley Lowers Pro on a Saturday, round three. Waves are kind of pumping, though. Felipe and Kaiwa Belly are in the water. Let's see if you could hear that. Toledo's got priority. Without priority, Kyle will just go up and out on the left. Catching up to the layback hack from Toledo. He will recover. Silky vocals of Joe Turpel commentating Felipe Toledo's wave. Um, Yeah, at any rate, good to be back and uh, catching up today on a bunch of podcast editing. A lot going on. There's been things to do every night of the week here in Southern California with the Hurley Lowers Pro in town, which is uh, where this episode was generated from, um, an event that took place earlier this week. I'll get into that in a second. Um, another episode that I recorded uh, within the last week or so was with the filmmaker and the lead star of a new film that's coming out called Let's Be Frank. And Red Bull is partially behind it, or they got involved in it. Um, Hurley is. South African filmmaker, South African surfer, Frank Solomon is the subject of it. You can find the trailer online. Um, go to YouTube, search Let's Be Frank trailer. And I mean, the, the film was remarkable. Like, I will get into details about that in a later episode, and you'll get to listen to that interview with a filmmaker and with Frank. But I just wanted to prep you in advance that, um, man, one of the most enjoyable things I've ever seen in surfing in a way that like watching The Endless Summer 2 when I was a teenager, you know, was impactful and kind of life altering, I suppose. This kind of had that same effect where it's seminal. And um, I'm really excited and I've probably overhyped it or I don't want to overhype it. So then you go in with huge expectations, but it just is what it is. Like I loved, loved the experience. So I went to the world premiere of it, um, but it doesn't actually get released until the 19th of this month, which is only nine days away from when this is being recorded. And you can watch it for free when it does come out on Red Bull TV uh, for 10 days anyways. But go ahead and just watch that trailer and live in anticipation for a week because that'll be fun too so look forward to that scott's been out of town scott was at surf expo in florida and then he's back in town now for the malibu invitational which malibu cup invitational or whatever it's called which takes place today which i don't understand why they're doing it today when the lowers pro is pumping uh but it is what it is i'm sure it was scheduled way in advance but he and i will try to get back together this week and recap the hurley lowers pro unbelievable event slater's rotator that he did the layback and got up from was crazy there's been some really remarkable surfing today's episode on the other hand is about the reverse v project and there's a number of voices that you're going to hear in this um maurice cole tom curran nick carroll barton lynch the reverse v project basically is a book that those gentlemen other than barton lynch put together and uh about this really important surfboard design that Maurice basically stumbled upon and Tom Kern rode to great fame and great success. You've seen the most iconic image based off that board and that design was Tom Survey's photo of uh, Tom Curran doing a cutback at Backdoor, one of the most iconic surf photos of all time. So anyways, they put together this large coffee table book documenting the process of designing that board, how the you know how they stumbled upon the design. And then they've actually reintroduced a series of 
those boards. You could buy the full six-board quiver of them in conjunction with this book or just buy the book or whatever you want. Super limited run on both things. But if you're in the market for that sort of thing, um, I'll post a link to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com where you can access that stuff. So as part of the book release tour, they actually held a event at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in San Clemente, which of course is our home studio for recording this show. And they basically just talked about stories in the book, answered questions from the audience. I showed up with a microphone and basically just recorded the conversation. And I wanted to share that with you. I mean, that's how rad the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center is. They're the Smithsonian of surfing. They do these unbelievable events. We in Southern California are... Um, lucky enough to benefit from that and have access to these guys and former world champs and iconic board builders and all this stuff. But I really think, you know, that I would love to share it with the world. And the Surfing Heritage tries to do that on their website, which is surfingheritage.org. But they're also just really generous in that they allow me just to show up with a mic and share it with everybody. Um, Really kind of altruistic endeavor that they've got going there. Huge fans. So surfingheritage.org. And of course, I'll post a link to their website on our website. They have this unbelievably huge uh, collection of surfboards and really cool photos and information about all of them on their website. Old stuff from like solid Koa Woods to brand new modern boards that guys are winning WCT events on. So great, great resource, the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in San Clemente. All right, without further ado, I'm going to toss it to Nick Carroll, who introduced the evening and is uh, the main author of this book. And then you'll hear Maurice Cole, you'll hear Tom Curran throughout this. I mean, Curran fully, fully delivered on his Curran-ness. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's a man of few words, and those words aren't necessarily uh, linear, the sentences that he constructs, but they're, they're really, really enjoyable. And, um, I mean, just to give you an idea, I'm, he was sitting, standing in the crowd as Nick Carroll was giving this introduction. Tom was standing just a few feet from me. I look over and notice him. The dude's drinking a Pepsi out of a can, you know? It was just, like, perfect. Like, it couldn't have been funnier. Like, if he was drinking a beer, wouldn't have been funny. If it was a water, if it was an iced tea, still wouldn't have really been that funny. But 8 o'clock at night party atmosphere and Curran's drinking a Pepsi out of a can. So classic, classic Curran. Anyway, enjoy this evening. Enjoy this conversation. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Um, You should go to surfsplendorpodcast.com to see photos from this event and links to this reverse V project. And then also there's a comment section at the bottom of the page. Go ahead and leave a comment, chime in with your thoughts about today's show and any questions that you might have. And I'll do my best to reply in a timely fashion all right david scales i'll be back at the end of the show to sign us off enjoy
Why? They both happened to end up in southwest France in 1989. There's a lot of story in that. I don't know if I could possibly tell it here. You might have to read the book at some point to pick up on that. But they did end up there, and that thus became one of the most epic creative moments in surfboard design history. Uh, and oddly, one of the least celebrated. Um, they told me later that they had only made 20 or 25 boards in those two years. Can, you know, compare that with the modern pros, you know, 100 board quivers. But those boards, there was an eight foot three gun that let Tom finally ride Sunset Beach the way he wanted. See that red and yellow thing? That's a beautiful replica of that board. The six foot nine pintar right next to it. Morris thought he was making it for possible barrels. And Tom kind of had other ideas. He took it to Santa Cruz and Bells and yeah, Huntington Beach, from what I understand. And it pretty much won his third world title with him on top. The little six foot styrofoam epoxy boards down the end there. Um, Super quick, super light. It was so much so that at the time, in 1990, there were styrofoam epoxy boards, there weren't any. And Tom just felt he was untouchable on this little thing. And I think he won two events that year on it. Um, and just truly tortured his opponents on that board. So, uh, we have one of his opponents here tonight, and we'll ask him up to talk a little bit about it. <laughs> <laughs> Then the reverse Bs, the boards that nobody understood, least of all their makers. <laughs> the first one, the six foot three, you know, it was, it was made out of a twisted blank that got lost on a freight container from Australia. And Morris gave it to Tom like a cover, like a joke, like, let's see him write this. Like, you reckon you can write anything? Let's see him write this. And <laughs> Tom called him that night and just said, this board's insane. And Morris didn't really believe him until Tom showed up on his doorstep the next day, early in the morning, with a, a, a car full of his old quiver. Saying, well, let's, let's make another quiver. Um, and the two yellow rails that went to Hawaii in 1991, the famous ones. You'll see the replicas of those two boards just there. Um, one of the originals is here tonight, actually. Um, courtesy of Spencer Crowell, who's now the proud owner of the seven foot eight pintail, that, that viciously honed down board. There is absolutely no foam on that board that doesn't need to be there. And many of you will recall that board from this photograph here. And the other one was like a seven foot three, a little square tile. You can see the replica down here. Um, there's a pretty exhausting story behind that one too, but it was the board under Tom's feet when he won the Harley Davidson Pro. He's won great big Hawaiian event win, and he won that at the same spot where he got his first surfboard you know, 20 years before. So there was a magic little circle turn under that board. Um, so I'm sure you're itching to meet the protagonist's tail. Um, 
song by Lars, if you guys can come up here. And um, I'm going to ask them both to talk with us about all sorts of stuff, and I feel like you should feel free to ask them questions, all that sort of thing. Okay, but first I'm going to ask a very special guest to, to get up here and, and give us a little bit of insight into both these characters from a very special point of view, that of a good friend and also uh, a deadly competitor, Mr. Barton Lynch. Uh, good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for having me. Look at these two fine individuals. I dare say, in my experience, I don't know that you come across two more rare and distinctly themselves individuals that you would come across. And uh, a little story about him particularly, which would be quite entertaining, I hope. But uh, to start with Tom, um, you know, when you were competing against Tom Curran, Tom Carroll, Martin Potter, Gary Elton, that whole generation, and you kind of felt that you maybe weren't as good as all of those guys because they were exceptional, and you didn't know how on earth you were going to fit in, how on earth you were going to beat them, but you wanted to beat them really bad. You went to, in, your, in my mind, I went to war against those guys. And, and just went like a rabbit dog, mate, like a mongrel that just wanted to, just wanted to steal the food off their plate because at that point in time, there wasn't a lot to go around. And the generation we grew up and had to be to get our position in that sport, they were bloody ruthless, mate. The rabbit Bartholomews and Sean Thompson and Mark Richards and Shane Horans of this world were serious individuals and serious competitors. And so you kind of learned the ropes from them. And, and Tom was the sort of guy that he never really bought into that. He didn't have to buy into that because he was so bloody good. Um, the rest of us kind of coming up against him would just have to go so hard and dig so deep. And I would try so hard and go in there so emotionally wound up that it would never work. And I think he beat me like the first seven times or something we competed against each other. And it was, I would never have sort of become who I became and learned the lessons I would have learned if there wasn't a time current there to teach you. Because he didn't know, he, he most probably didn't know he was teaching you those lessons, but you realised that you had to go into yourself. There was no use being angry and aggressive and gnarly and, and, and in going at him in that mode because it didn't even touch him. It's just like water slipping off a duck's back, as they say. And so I remember it was at the Gotcha Pro, I think, and um, I'd gone at him and snarled at him and <laughs> before all my heats and lost every single time. And, and inside I realised that, hey, maybe you've got to change something. You've got to try something different. You're seven and only you idiot. And so I remember that, that this little revelation moment, thinking, OK, I'm just going to try it completely different. I remember seeing Tom that morning smiling and saying good day and being warm. And I remember the look on his face, you might not remember, but I remember the look on his face going, oh, Christ, who's this kid? Who's this guy? Because I just had to change. And he taught me that, that you could be you. You could actually just do your thing. 
and, and be focused on yourself rather than putting so much energy into trying to smash people and beat people and, and have it all going you know, all over the place rather than having it harnessed and, 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 and in, within yourself. And so, you know, he taught me so much without knowing that he was doing it. It was just out of him being him. And the thing that, that I sort of feel the most was that I've never seen anyone with the intimacy and the understanding of the relationship with the ocean that, that Tom Curran has. I saw, I saw that many heats where he was out of it and everyone, you wrote him off and then all of a sudden you go bang, 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 bang and get these scores in the last minutes and you would just go, what the hell, how did he do that? And then you go, that was luck, mate. That was luck, Pat, he did. Then you watch it happen again and again. I remember a heat in Japan, I don't know if you remember. But I was surfing where everybody else had surfed that day. And Tom sat and paddled and sat in this place where a wave hadn't broken all day, no one had sat all day. And I remember looking at him going, he's what's he thinking over there? You know, going, epic. And I had like four sixes, which was all right back in them days. And, um, and then out of the blue, this wave pops up, he catches it in a place that nothing's broken all day, gets a 10, on this thing and then proceed to get a couple more and just blow me up and oh god I can't and I don't know if it's in the DNA from his dad or just in the, the honesty that he has as a human but uh, his relationship with the ocean is something that I've never seen replicated I've never seen anyone put themselves in the right time at the right place and have that relationship with the ocean the way that he did the way that you two and uh, that was for me was just such a such an inspiring, inspirational thing to try and understand and made you go within and, and learn about yourself to try and be that good yourself, you know. So thank you, mate, for all of those. And then my other mate here, he and I have got a long history and uh, we spent some time on ASP boards together and uh, you find out who your real friends are when things aren't going that good. You know what I mean? And towards the back end of my career, um, I didn't have sponsors and I wasn't earning any money. I was kind of burnt out and a little bit over it. Um, and I had no money to buy boards. And Morris would make me boards and give me boards. And then when I retired, that just meant so much to me to get a board given to me. And then when I retired, um, I didn't have money to travel. We are just cruising at home, me and my daughter. And Morris would uh, set up camp in northwestern Australia and, uh, and he would fly my daughter and I over to Western Australia to take us up to the camp and we'd spend this time out in the bush with him riding boards, playing around on jet skis, just having the best old time. And to me that was, that was you know, he cared about me at a time when I needed it, you know, and, and it chokes me up a bit because I always respected that and appreciated that and loved him for that. And uh, one time we were up at this camp, now this is a real the other Morris. The other, we're up at the camp, this swell that's meant to come doesn't really eventuate. And Morris goes, <laughs> we're 14 hours from Margaret River where he lives. He goes, there's a swell at Margaret River, it's down there. It's like five in the hour. He goes, we're going to be there tomorrow morning, we're going to pack up the camp, we're going to get everything in the car, we're going to Sava. And I can't remember, I think Noah Johnson, I remember we're all looking at him, oh, he's off his freaking head, what is he doing? Let's just stay here and cruise. Packs up the whole camp, throws it all in, he's got, takes off at 100, 140 kilometres an hour, down these corrugated dirt roads, 
with a double jet ski trailer on the back with two massive jet skis that's bouncing around at the back and you can feel the back end of the car going like that and kangaroos freaking everywhere <laughs> in the dark and I'm looking at him and I was too scared to sleep my daughter's in the back and I remember driving along at a point looking at him going pardon my friend if I may like, you fucking kill my daughter I'll freaking kill you just pay attention and we got the Margaret River and we got the swell, but that, well, that's the sort of bloke he is, mate. He's a little bit loose around the edges, but, uh, but he has that moments of genius, and uh, I suppose the collaboration from those guys, as Nick said, did torture most of us because, you know, who's going to ride a 6'9 at Steve Malone? I remember it so well, and I remember no one would do that these days. No one. I remember Taj Bo when he retired saying he's ridden the same board, the 5'9, 18th quarter, for 20 years. But these couple of rare individuals had that ability to, to just trust themselves and follow themselves and create the magic. So to both of them, thank you for that. various kinds of praise. Um, <laughs> but I wonder if you guys could share a little bit with us, with, with us all about each other and about like what you found in each other when you ran across each other in France. Like, because you're so different and you come from such different places. You know, one of you like just can't stop talking. And, and Tom's a, a fairly restrained individual, you know. So, um, and yet Tom's like the super gun world champ who like doesn't really, you know, isn't sort of like going around going, champ, you know, but he is, right? And Morris is just a shaper from Victoria and he was like the two-time world champ from California. Like, tell me a little bit about running into each other over there. Gee, I got so many memories of Barton's brought back then, but I'd I, I, I just like to, to say, <clears throat> One of the reasons the story was never told. Um, this story's never been told before in this three years. It was basically when I started shaping for Tom and it was it was it was a challenge. It was Tom not having the boards at that time in Hossegor and um, there was a session where it was sort of six to eight foot of piss and I don't think he made a way and I made them all and he sort of came up in the car and went, uh, you know, can you you don't think uh, maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe shaping your board. You know, I could get a glass or something. You know, this is all, this is sort of all in the book. And from that moment on, I sort of went, yeah, you know, I can, I've got a circle factory. I can maybe get a glass and sand it for it if you like. But, um, it, it was so extrovert, introvert, and just the way our paths met, I called Tom up to, to go surfing, I had no one to surf with in those days. I mean, in France, it was, there was waves, just no one would come out. It was, the French at that stage were really good sitting on the beach and going, I've got a sore back, I've got a sore knee, and all that stuff. So Tom had come down. But what happened over this period where I started making boards for Tom, and, um, you know, I got to know him, and I realised because I'd spent a lot of time, most, most of my life, with Wayne Lynch, who was also 
pretty sensitive and uh, very artistic. Just child prodigy, just one of the greatest surfers on the planet. All of a sudden, same thing. Here's this guy, same thing. Nick knows his story really well because I was here when it happened and I had a, a certain person from a magazine call me up and ask about, about <coughs> how I'd like six pages in a magazine and I could be famous and blah, blah, blah. And I went, oh, that's sort of cool. And they said all they wanted to know uh, was how much time made a month. And uh, at that particular time, I know you all think I'm a really big cuddly bear and, you know, but those, that, those days there, if you poked the bear, it was, you know, there was consequences. And uh, this, this, uh, this particular person got a damn good verbal thrashing from me and uh, it was probably a few threats, you know, that, to think that I could be bored. And I was made, doing this, this, just amazing. It was great connecting with Tom and the challenge of shaping and wasn't a lot of boards and he didn't have to say a lot of words and I'd make it see the things that he was talking to me about, get them thinner, finer, you know, like, anyhow, so I decided, in, you know, fantastic marketing, it was just unbelievable, I said, I'm not talking to the media anymore, I, and I didn't, I didn't talk to the media for three years. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So the whole story just went completely, and you know what, I enjoyed it so much because so many people were trying to get through me to Tom, and my respect for Tom and the friendship for, you know, that, that, that we built with the kids were coming along, and you know, we, we were starting to develop families and that, so... It was really, really something, a friendship that developed and this creative thing that happened, it was, it was unspoken, it was untalked about. So actually, there's only very, very few people that know all the, the crazy stories of, you know, surfing different waves, making different boards, turning up in Hawaii, the story about the, the, uh, the unstickered boards, that's in there too, that was sort of something else that people didn't understand. So. What became very special was we had this, there was no form of pollution in any form from media or anything. 
we were just two guys. I happened to shave and surf. Happened to be able to actually surf the same boards as him. Man, what happened to you? You got really skinny. <laughs> so we used to be able to surf the same thing. So that to me was the special thing, you know. We're, to this day, you know, we're, we're actually here. As I see this, the history of surfing, I sort of realised in speaking to Nick, there was a really big chunk missing, you know, because the boards that we actually made uh, that night, I have so clear. I, I, I'll, I'll just say this to finish off on because I could go on for another four or five hours. Um, <laughs> I used to go free surfing with Tom. <clears throat> and Tom used to surf, like, I can still see stuff in my head that no one else was doing or trying, doing anything. He would free surf, it's not possible, but 100% plus. When I saw him in Connors, I never saw that. I never saw that, that flair, that incredible, just, just, innovative, creative, inspirational uh, surfing. And I'd watch him in, in heats and that. He'd win, win by a mile, you know. You know, like, like, like Nick said, you know, he'd, be, he'd have 30 seconds to go in a heat and I was walking up the, head, the, the, the beach one day with Ocky and Brad Gerlach had never beaten Tom, ever. And he needed a 7.5 for 30 seconds to go. And I said, wow, Ock, he's going to beat him. And Ock goes, mate. Oh, you watch. You'll get one. You'll get one. And I'm walking there and I swear, I swear, 10-9-8, a wave came off the bottom of the ocean. There was no sets out there. He got this left. He gets this 7.7. And that's sort of, you know, like, Oki at that stage, which I think was one of the incredible rivals. I had these two guys I was making them boards. It, it, it was just, it, it, it was just so pure. It was just so unadulterated, you know. And you know, I'd, I'd have it at my house sometimes for lunch. Tom Carroll, Tom, Tom Curran, Potts would be there. Ocky would stay with me. You should have seen those free surfing things. And that, that to me, you know, Bart would be around there, and you know, I can understand Bart. I mean, you put him in the water with someone. I saw him this year. He came down a week early because he had a heat against Dorma and we went out every day and we worked on boards because, man, that was one of the most serious heats I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Thank you, Bart. So I'll end off on that one. I've had enough. So that, 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 that's sort of what the book that Nick did. Nick probably did 30, 40, 50 hours with me. Uh, um, a lot of hours, just you know, we've been great mates for a long time, and you know, I could really open up to him, and I've actually said things to him that I've never said to anyone else, and you know, I, I really want to thank you, mate. Great book. France, one of the things you got into um, was you just do jam sessions together. You'd just get some guitars and go into a room somewhere and jam for a while. And I suddenly thought, well, this is a little bit like a band, right? <laughs> Designing. It's a, there's a, there's. How that jamming improve your relationship and maybe also if there's a connection between what you do with the band and what you do with the shaper and a surfboard? 
<laughs> Thank you, Nick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point about having a collaboration and having your own ideas and compare them and try to make some kind of hybrid, you know, because a lot of times if you have somebody else who's working on another aspect of a board, all that work has been done, you can trust that they did the work. And you go, no, it's this measurement, you don't have to try it a bunch of times, you can just trust that that's what it is, right? That's kind of how it is in a way. But, um, it's amazing being here and with everybody here too. Uh, thank you all for coming. And I want to see, you know, like Jim Hogan is right over We serve together. And, So, and then, you know, but the competitive 
they're, they're competitive, right? So, so this is great, and I appreciate that from from all Australians, you know, and, uh, and more is called Australian as they become, I think, <laughs> in a good way. So, um, anyway, so thank you, Morris. Look, I'm just wondering right now if um, anyone has any questions they'd like to ask these two characters. I mean, they're, they're fond of surfing wisdom. Um, uh, they have a million stories about the creation of these surfboards. Uh, the reverse V project is all theirs, um, and it's their accomplishment. So, if you'd like to ask Morris the time, any questions? Now's the time. There's one. Reverse V. The theory on the reverse V was, you know, basically what everyone was doing at that time. It's proven. It's not a theory. It's actually, it's actually, it's a, it's a hydrodynamic principle that I actually still use it today. Um, and basically, what it was is we used to think that V's between the fins made boards loose. But I took the V out and accidentally put V in the front and had more curve. So traditionally in, in those days, boards had four inches and two inches. The first board that I made, Tom, that was a, we call it a happy mistake, had five and three. Five and three inches of rocker, which was unheard of. You know, like some people talk about banana boards, but this actually was the original and it actually worked. Am I that sir? Yeah. Anyhow, so what it was, was when I, we looked at it, I, I was in the shaping room one day with Wayne Lynch, Pat Rawson, and Gordon Merchant. And we were trying to work out why a board with more curve went faster than any other board. And basically, it took a little while to work it out. Why? Because it was sort of a mistake. Then I worked out with the water flow and everything. When you looked at the tail of the board, there was all this lift, but it was straighter in the middle. So when you had V in the middle, the way you got it was you shaped the V off around the fin, so it was really dead straight. But when you look at the boards, the reverse V, it had a lot of curve in the tail. All the curve was on the rail, and it was straight down the middle. So you get up, and it's really fast, but as soon as you lean it over, you're on the curve. And that's when I started watching him, so you'll see some of the photos in the book. He started going beyond vertical and stuff. You know, so, so basically, I still do that today by using really deep concaves. It was all about less wetted surface area. And, you know, being a sort of mm, analytical maniac that I am sometimes, I've, I've actually worked with a guy called Scott Crane. And uh, he's a guy, uh, he builds America's Cup boats. He builds the oracles and, and did all those things, okay? So he's pretty damn good. So he actually re reaffirmed about, I do the deep concaves, which is the same principle now because it's less wetted surface area. So I actually make a, a catamaran in surfboards. And you know, I feel like now we've really gone, I've gone, pushed the design really a long way, but it's still based on the reverse V principle theory. There you go.
Any other questions? Is that it? What's the last word you shaped for I actually made him one of these little metros for Bay a couple of years ago in France. And uh, I think he went pretty good on it. I had Dino and Dino called me one day and said, Tom's surfing so far up a point. And he's watching him come down. He's on this yellow board and he's going faster than anything. They're really fast, so I'm, my whole thing now is to make boards go much faster. I'm gonna, we're gonna show you some little a vision later that no one's ever seen before, because it's our secret spot of Ross Clark Jones, because I went into the tow boards, and Ross, Ross is one of my great friends, he says, you know what, I need a five nine that goes from eight to 80 feet. And I go, okay, it took two years, but we got it, you know, and we ended up with very deep concaves, and you'll see some of the footage, which is seven years old, that Jack McCoy's put together. And, you know, I'm all about much faster surfboards now uh, that will absolutely carve on a rail. So, you know, if you ask my wife, I've probably spent every bloody dollar I've had in the last 20 years on R&D, and, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to change any time soon, so... I, I get bored if I do it. Like, I, I actually have given up shaping stock boards. I just can't deal with it anymore. So, Tom, Tom, uh, yeah, I've made a few boards, and I think we've got your reverse V again. But I'm still trying to work out how to shape your skin board. So that's probably the next one. That's probably the next one. I've got an idea. Go, Michael. There's one thing that I've always hated, and that's breaking boards because you know, I never used to do a lot. Oh, did you? Have you ever broken any? No. Yeah. So there, there you go. No, no, of mine? Do you ever break any of mine? Yeah. Maybe not. No, I don't. So, thick stringers. Pat Rawson used to accuse me when I'd go to Hawaii and I'd put inch stringers in. I always used thick stringers and he said I was destroying the rainforests. Okay? <laughs> You can still see those boards today. And if you look at that board of, of Tom's over there, you know, that was, for the time, having a 3 8 inch string was pretty, pretty thick. So my whole thing has been about, you know, everyone talks about sustainable this and that, but one of the, the biggest things is not to break the damn things, it's not to break down. So I've been working for a long time with laminated ply stringers. I've done the carbon 20 years ago. I'm actually working with the, the Hydrofix crew now. I'm that damn confident in the boards I'm making now. If you check the gun out there, it's got four layers, top and bottom. It's got triple stringers. I just hate the idea of boards breaking. So I'm actually working on a custom-made way of getting boards glass where the boards won't break. And of course, because I've owned surfboard factories um, and I've had a few friends get sick it's a horrible working environment with polyester. I started working with epoxies 26 years ago that were less toxic. You know, that's when, you know, Tom came to me one day and needed a little board for this. Did an EPS epoxy board. I think it was 26 or 27 years ago. So fast forward now, and you know, we've just had a WSL conference where <coughs> I'm trying to get proposed that we have to build better surfboards. This whole idea of building 50 to 60 year old technology toxic polyester boards that break and are disposable, it just, 
it's just not working. It's, they're starting to be a really big gap, and I've had to move away from that because I want to start making a completely different type of board, faster boards. There's no time to experiment over here. But I can tell you now that uh, you know I've been, I put a lot of wood in circles. Is that okay? Yeah, that's not that's okay. We're holding it together. But yeah, not many of my boards break. Uh, I'm really, really excited about the bioresins, some of the some of the, the fiberglasses. I've just received some new volcanic basalt uh, fiberglass. There's a two ounce, I think, you can glass top and bottom. Just it's just amazing stuff. And Hydroflex is the only company in the world that does German infusion, which is a type of vacuum bagging, but it's superior to vacuum bagging. So. You know, once again, I'm on, I've got a different business model. Instead of trying to make 30 boards a week and pay for a team, you know, I only want to do small amounts of customs and really service the customer. And, you know, we're, I'm actually talking about at the moment putting a one-year guarantee on my boards against breakage. So that, to me, that, to me, Tried to do it. They got a brief from the boys at Rob. We, we want a surfboard from Mr. Rob that can travel around the world. It's got to be a thrust, thruster, quad, and single fin. And it's like getting a flashback from Ross Clark Jones, you know. It's like, you know, you know I, need, I need an 8 to 80 foot. You know? It's such a challenge that, you know, we've done it and I'm going to do it out of entropy resins, you know, like the bio resins. I like the polyurethane because US Planks is the only blank company in the world that's just just got such incredible, meets all the EPA standards, it's got a $350,000 extraction system and it's really working with like-minded people and I found I went to the Futures play, Futures, uh, it's very hard to blow my mind but those guys are so far ahead of anyone else, I, I think I'm going to be doing a fair bit of work with those guys. So. And you know, we've got resins now that we can scrape it off the floor and recycle it into fin boxes. I mean, how's this stuff going on, you know? We've got to try and get all this new technology and try and convince our team, right, you know, the, the elite of our sport, to start adopting a greener surfboard. Because one thing, there's a lot of sick people out there. And I've got a lot of friends, I've got glasses and sanders that go back 40 years. And it's pretty horrific when you see the condition of some of them, you know. And I actually said it the other night, you know, with what's going on now, I actually, actually feel a bit embarrassed and a bit ashamed to where it's ended up. And Tom has always been one of those people, just, you know, he'll try anything, you know, like, and I know how much he really thinks about environmental, you know, the, the sustainable surface, which, which now Tom's going to say something. Just even say <laughs> I agree with you that surfboards are uh, going to be more durable and uh, I think uh, people are paying more attention to what really is you know, the uh, durability factor. I think that's going to be... Um, I think you'll be able to have a, you know, somebody will want a surfboard that lasts longer than, it, you know, than nowadays kind of want to have a board that's like a competition kind of board. Tom, tell us about these new boards. 
Well, I've been riding a skimboard uh, with foam and with special fins on it, and I really like it. I like the uh, maneuverability. It has a lot of, uh, it's, it's kind of technical when you're surfing. You kind of have to think a little bit more, you know, like when you're getting up and then, you know, kind of going through turns a little bit, you have to think a little bit more, kind of have to wait certain times. But I like it because it's uh, real fast and, uh, and it, you know, it's really versatile. Also, it's good that, you know, it's one of the things that's great to have a board that's durable as well. So, not having to worry about fixing it or you know, re you know, doing debris repairs and stuff. It's good. I ride everything. Um, I've probably had just the best, the best winner I've ever seen. You know, you'll know that I've had cancer for battling cancer for probably seven or eight years. Put on a bit of weight and all the hormones and that. So, this year I've been, I went back. When that, when that 7 8 there, I, I'm riding a 7 8, but it's 20 and a half by 3 and a half because I can still have a paddle every one and it still seems to turn, still throw it around and that. Hear these words, I think as we all get a little old, we'll probably start riding long boards, except for Tommy will probably end up with a 2 foot 3 skimboard. <laughs> just to be, just to be. He said something interesting to me, Tom, we were talking about something that we were in, I think we were in Coolant Gap, and um, you were hounding the people there at the surf club for a gigantic rescue board, like the, the rescue boards, like, you know what lifeguards use to go and rescue people when they're drowning? Well, Tom was getting hold of one of these, he was going out to snap a rock, snapper was about this big, long, but this big, and he was riding goofy foot down the line on a rescue board. Okay, so can you tell us a bit about that? What was going on there? Well, well that was uh, that was great because Coolangatta is town with all kinds of great of Kira, Super Bay, Snapper, Rainbow Bay, Green Mountain Point. You may not have heard of Green Mountain Point. It's perfect. It's like it's all right there. So it was only like that big. So I got the rescue board. I actually was able to borrow a rescue board from the lifeguards in uh, Australia, which is really, it's pretty difficult because there's a, there's a thing, it's like a strict code or something, but there's a, there's a, you're either a clubby kind or you're a surfy. That's one or the other, but there's a few of the old crew are now clubby, but they're, you know, they're, they're all right. So, uh, but, so I got the guy that let me use the board, so I was out there surfing twice, you know, well, twice, two days in a row, perfect little waves, and then uh, I'm having fun, and one time I go into the area, the swimmer's area, and I hear the, Switch stance is kind of just something to do you know, when you're bored. 
You never know. You never know when you're going to have to surf movie foot. You just never know. There's a story behind that board. Could, uh, um, I went back to France uh, with Morris actually. And uh, Morris ended up surfing at Mudaka. Um, um, really good, perfect, big Mudaka. Tom, a few years ago, we were doing an interview in France and we were talking about that famous shot. Everybody just assumed it was the 7-2. And Tom, in the interview, went, no, it's the 7-8. I mean, I've still got the 7-8. Hang on. And he goes, yeah, no, it's the 7-8, I went out to sort of hide and just happened to jam that, that way at the back door. And, uh, you know, we, we actually wondered because there was a doubt about it. And Tom, when he came onto the show last year, we sort of said, you sure that's the board? And if you flip it over, it's pretty amazing to see it's the world's worst ding repair. There's a hole in the bottom with two bubbles in it. Tom, when we flipped it over, yeah, that's the board. I remember I fixed that board. Yeah, that's the board. And he actually said, I remember the two bubbles. What a memory. <laughs> that's great. Thanks a million, Spencer. Um, we have another presentation here. Um, the first person to purchase the full Six board quiver in the reverse speed project uh, is ripped off by Neil Ridgeway, so I'd like to ask Neil to come up here and accept this board for uh, I never purchased it, Ripcurl So, uh, look, we, we just think it's a very important uh, collection of surfboards, and we think it means a lot to surfing. And uh, we love Tom, not, you know, we, we never know where he is. We sometimes can find him, sometimes we can't. That's what we love about him, but he turns up uh, and hangs out with us. And, and he's a big part of our company and our brand, and, and we're just stuck to be part of it. And um, I don't really want to be up here alone, so we're a crew of Rip Curl, so there's a lot of Rip Curl people here, so if everyone from Rip Curl can come up and get a photo, in the photo, because uh, the photo, the photo is going to go on the wall in, the, in our bar, and the boards are going to live in our bar in the place of So, if everyone can come up and Again, huge thanks to the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Surfingheritage.org is their website. Uh, huge thanks to them for hosting this event, organizing it. Crazy. They just do unbelievable events like this all the time. And then Tom's band actually played live music, his son Pat on guitar, um, food catered, alcohol. Like it's a, They do a phenomenal job. So thanks for that. Um, 
little couple moments of gold there from Maurice. I always call him Maurice. I know other people call him Morris, which I think is what he'd prefer. Um, so Morris, Cole, some moments of gold. Barton Lynch, of course, is always amazing. Nick Carroll. And then if you had a hard time hearing Tom Curran, uh, yeah, you're not the only one. He was miked, and I was standing next to the speaker. Still couldn't really hear. So that is what it is. But I was didn't want to edit it out. It's like, that's part of the joy. So I just leave it in, let it play. At any rate, thanks for listening. This is Surf Splendor. Find us at surfsplendorpodcast.com. Leave a comment. I am David Scales, your humble host, and I'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Maybe even this week I'll be back later, all right? Until then, get out in the ocean, perhaps on a skimboard, catch a couple waves, and shred on.